Well, good morning, church. You all are amazing. You made it through the frozen tundra. You are here, and I hope, uh, my prayer is that you're ready to hear from our risen Savior, uh, as he totally wants to speak to you today. I, uh, I don't know what your past week or year has been, but we are on the brink of a new year, and there is so much excitement with that. And I want you to know that my prayer for you, and as you enter this year, is that you are going to see Christ in new, fresh, renewed ways. Whatever season you're in, whatever you're going through, that Christ is going to be so alive within you and around you. And that you're going you're gonna to feel his presence and that you're going to be growing in a deeper personal relationship with him. That you experience him in new ways. And I want to encourage you just to, in this moment, uh, Brian talked about it earlier, but in order for us to really be a people that, that grow, we need others around us. We need those deep relationships for that. And so I want to encourage you, and I'm actually going to give you permission right now. I don't think Rob has ever given you this permission. But I'm going to give you permission to go on your phone right now and register for Rooted. Because I think that is something that is going to be important for you if you need to take that next step and to, to really say, okay, Lord, I want to go after you. That you get in those relationships and you get into groups and you pursue that. So I want to encourage you to go to wheatonbible.org rooted and register and get into a group and start next Sunday night or if you can do Thursday nights, we start on January 11th with that. But be a part of this. Do not miss out. I think it's vitally important for all of us. So I want to jump into our text. And I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like Christmas just flies by. It comes so fast. And then when it's gone, it's almost like a, a little depressing because you didn't get all your Christmas music and you didn't get to dive fully in. So we're going to give you one more Sunday. And we're going to dive back into the Christmas story. And so I want to invite you to grab a Bible in front of you, grab your Bible, and go to Matthew 2, 1 through 12. We're going to be in that text. If you don't have a copy, share with the person next to you so that you can see it um, as we go there. So last week, I, along with many of you, spent some time here at our candlelight services. I was here for a, a couple of those services. And as I was in those times, I was struck by something that was taking place within me. And in fact, I think I saw it happening in the lives of people that were sitting around me. See, I entered this room and I heard the music and I stood when I was told to and I sang and I worshiped. Whenever I was asked to join in, I listened to what was shared. I even, you know, lit the candle when I was asked to and didn't get any wax on the carpet because of the fear of Rob Boo. <laughs> but I participated in all of it, and I did all of that. And then something else was taking place. And I saw many of you do the same thing. Now, before I go any further, I want to also say this. 
I don't want you to be uncomfortable if I end up sitting next to you at some point in 2018. I am not a spy. I am not there to watch you and to take notes. But I just want you to know that what I'm sharing is actually something that was uh, in turmoil within me, and I think it's in many of us as I witness things in this, in our candlelight services. See, we come to worship, and as we sing, as we give, as we listen and look into God's word, what I found is that I also spent a lot of time looking around. As I would sing the worship songs, I started singing those, and then I would start looking around the crowd, or whenever I spend time and I look at, at God's word, then all of a sudden I look around, and I want you to know that I don't think that's bad in and of itself. But what I found was that I was singing and then looking around and just repeating the words that I've heard from many Christmases past. See, what ended up taking place within my own heart and what I was struck with is that my worship that was very intentional in coming here became very unintentional as I got distracted by the things around me. And so I was, I was here and I was present, but I, end up, I ended up losing some of my intentionality in worshiping the Savior that came for us. And so as we look at this text this morning, I want you to understand that Matthew 2, 1 through 12 doesn't just tell the Christmas story. It has great impact on the subject of worship. And I believe that whenever we look at this text, we're going to see that as we see that the magi are the characters that we're going to look at, they're not the main character that they're going to be an example for us on what it means to worship God in passionate, surrendered ways. And so I believe this text asks us to really look at three different questions that it, it forces upon us that we have to answer. The first one is, how do we view worship? What is right worship? What does that mean in our lives? The second one is, how do we get worship wrong? What, where do we stumble? And then lastly, what must we do to get worship right and rejoice? How do we get to that place of rejoicing? So we're going to find those answers in Matthew 2, and I'm going to start in verse 1. Read along with me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So as we look at this text, I, I hope that you leave here this morning understanding that a life of rejoicing comes to those who get worship right. See, I believe that all of us come into this and we want to have a life of rejoicing. We want that joy in our life. But what we have to do is when we look at this text, we have to understand that in order for that to happen, we have to get worship right. It's a a main point in our life. So these first several verses, verses 1 and 2, show us the setting of what is happening in the text. They also reveal on how, uh, the answer to our first question. What is right worship? See, these magi, they show up after the birth of Jesus. As we read that text, and as you spend time looking at it, it might be good for you to be aware of something. That when you read Matthew 2, it means that your nativity scene is wrong. You know, that thing that you put out every year at Christmas isn't fully accurate. Because if you look at it, you see the text that it says, after he was born. So the Magi weren't actually at the manger with the shepherds and there. That's not what was taking place. This is saying that's after a little bit of time. So it means that Jesus was still an infant or toddler... But these magi were coming at a different time period than the shepherds were present. And so the the magi showing up actually has massive universal significance. I even believe that we are present here worshiping today because of the significance of the magi showing up and, and bowing and worshiping Jesus. And the reason I say that is because this universal significance is huge because they weren't Jewish. They weren't Jewish. Here God had sent a message to Gentiles, a group of Gentile men about the birth of Jesus. And so them showing up means that Jesus' birth wasn't just for Israel. It was for you and me today. It's massive universal significance. So in that, what we also have to understand is that these these men, they probably came from Persia, and they were from this socioeconomic class that was higher than Mary and Joseph. They had all this education. They knew what was happening. And what we're going to see later is that they come with these gifts. But what we also need to understand is that they're probably, and I probably should have had this discussion with Brian before we went into this service, okay? But there weren't necessarily three magi. 
See, when we look at this, we, we sing the Psalms that we think that there's three because the gifts, but scholars look at this, and because of this, there was probably a caravan of people that this announcement came, it took months for them to get to Jerusalem, and because of the road, they were going to need a larger group, a larger party to get there for safety. On top of that, if you notice in verse 3, they come asking these questions and Herod and all Jerusalem are disturbed. I don't think that three people are going to make that big of a disturbance, but there is probably a caravan of people that are coming and asking this question. And they're asking, where has the king of the Jews been born? See, these magi are leading figures in their country. They came from uh, using a variety of scientific, diplomatic, and religious elements in their work. On top of that, there were Jewish colonies that were in the east. And so because of that, the magi probably knew of some of the Old Testament prophecy that was taking place. And so because of the Old Testament prophecy that they were probably familiar with, they end up asking this question and they use this phrase having to do with Jesus of king of the Jews. Where is the king of the Jews being born? What's important to note here is that Herod enters the scene in verse 3. And in verse 3, when this question is asked of the king of the Jews... Herod had already been known as the king of the Jews. See, 40 years prior, the Senate in Rome had given him that title, that Herod was the king of the Jews and he ruled over them. And so the Magi come and Herod ends up understanding this pretty quickly that they're not looking for him. They're not there for Herod. They're there for someone else. I was reading over the last couple weeks and I came across this, that in America today, there are probably three, four, maybe up to six uh, children that are alive right now under the age of 18 that will eventually become the president of the United States. In fact, some of you might have those children. I mean, we might have that, that the future president in our midst right now. But you proud parents that are sitting there going, yeah, that's probably my child. <laughs> Let me point something out to you. None of us traveled hundreds of miles to come to the birth of your child. We didn't. We didn't journey to come to that place when your child was born because they might be the future president of the United States. We didn't make that journey. We didn't come to to just give them the the honor that they, they deserve. We didn't do that. See, whenever the Magi come, they weren't coming to look for the standard king for the, the, the normal one that the world always knew, they were looking for something different. They were looking for the one and only. They were looking for, for someone that had incredible significance because a star had proclaimed it. And so we see this in verse 4. In verse 4, we end up finding that Herod has called all the chief priests and the teachers of the law together And he ends up 
knowing because he's king of the Jews and they're not asking for him, he ends up using the term Messiah. Where is the Messiah to be born? See, no one ever called Herod Messiah. The Jews wouldn't have called him the Messiah. And whenever we understand what the term Messiah means, it leads us to worship. See, Messiah, whenever we look at that, refers to the long-awaited, the God-anointed ruler over all rulers of all the earth who is coming to establish God's kingdom forever. Notice, not God's kingdom for four years. It's God's kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever. That's who they are coming to look for. So when we think of what is right worship, we catch this glimpse in these verses that it's seeking the one who doesn't get his titles from humanity, but gets his titles from heaven. That's who they were coming to seek. That's who they're looking for. It's coming and not settling for human royalty, but looking for heaven's royalty. And so as the Magi are doing this, to pay this honor to Jesus, we have to ask, are you looking for the one that has human titles and human authority, or are you looking the one for the one that has heaven's royalty? Who are you looking for? So what is right worship? Well, right worship is ascribing Jesus authority as king over all, everything, and giving him the rightful dignity that he deserves and doing it with great joy, great excitement, that you have the opportunity to give that to the creator king each and every day of your life. That's what right worship is. Now, the Magi, they're not settling for these impersonations in, in the darkness of the world. They want the new light. They want this, this new king. And I want you to see what Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 2 says. It says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his, and his glory appears over you. Don't you get the glimpse in Isaiah that this, this glory came, that this, this star is shining over the darkness of the world and proclaiming the birth of the true light. I mean, all the way back in Isaiah we see this. And so the Magi are seeking that. That's what they're going after. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you living with that same desire? Are you living with that desire to, to, to worship where you wake and you go, I want to worship the one that has all authority over all the situations in my life? See, some of you have circumstances right now that when you wake up, you are miserable. And you're caught in your circumstance instead of waking up and saying, the God I serve has complete authority over those circumstances. He knows me, he loves me, and he's going to walk through this with me. 
See, that's how we are to be approaching this because we have to understand that a life of rejoicing comes to those who get worship right. So if you are having an issue in these areas, I got to tell you, it's because you have a worship issue. You have a worship issue. And if you want that rejoicing, you got to get your worship right. Now we see this, and, and if we understand that right worship is ascribing God this glory and authority and joy, then we also need to understand that we can get worship wrong. We can get it really, really wrong. See, when the announcement comes to Herod, when you see what's taking place in verse 3, you end up seeing that it says that he was disturbed. Herod was disturbed, and all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. See, when it says all Jerusalem, it's referring to the religious leaders because they were the ones that were kind of over the people. And so there's this disturbance that this announcement brings. And why is that? Well, it's because with Herod, Herod has a massive identity issue. He's got a massive identity issue. In fact, he's got this control problem. History tells us that Herod was so fearful of his authority being overthrown that he had one of his wives and their sons killed and executed. He would have people executed all the time. During that time, whenever we see, when we see what's happening in North Korea, that's basically what's taking place with Herod. That's how he's ruling, in that fear. And later in chapter 2, verse 16, because of that fear, Herod ends up sending this decree out that every child two and younger in Bethlehem needs to be killed. See, when fear and control dominate your life, you will act as a fool. You will. So when those things dominate, you are not going to be impressive. You're going to look like an idiot. And so Herod has that happening. So what we find in Herod is that he has this self-centeredness and these control issues. He's only focused on himself. And so when we turn in, we miss the opportunity for joy to reign in our life and to worship the one where joy comes from. See, I, you might have heard this saying, the, the smallest package in the world is a person wrapped up in himself. I mean, whenever we look at this, these relational issues, think of the relational issues in your life right now. If you were willing to be honest with yourself, I would imagine that the relational issues in your life are present because there is a hint of self-centeredness and control issues in your life. I'm not saying that you're like the, to blame for everything, but when we start looking at relational issues, for those of you that are going through marriage issues, there is going to be self-centeredness and control issues at the root. For those of you that have issues with your boss or coworkers, there's probably going to be some control issues at the root of all that. And it's because there's fear that is dominating you. 
And it's in those moments that you are getting worship wrong and you're a little Herod. So we see that Herod shows this, but then we also see another way of getting worship wrong, and we see it in the religious leaders. See, these religious leaders come, and what these religious leaders have is they have a problem with self-righteousness. Notice what happens in the text. They come, Herod asks them a question, and what do the religious leaders and the teachers do? They give the right answer. Did you catch it? They give the right answer. In fact, they use prophecy from Micah 5.2, and they give this answer, and then all of a sudden they're non-existent in the text. They exit the scene. They were just asked a question about the Messiah, the one that was to come for Israel. They were asked this question, they give the answer, and then they do nothing else. They don't take any other action. They leave going, we gave the right answer. They're so impressed with their own knowledge. They, they have this knowledge that's there, and so when this is happening, they are more impressed with that than in going, can we rejoice? <clears throat> can we rejoice right now? Should we be rejoicing? Has the Messiah come? They don't look. They don't even go find the Magi to try to go with them. And this reveals the spiritual health of the nation. <clears throat> See, when, when you look at this, I want you to understand, knowledge is important. Knowledge is really important. But when it doesn't impact your heart, you miss out on rejoicing. See, when knowledge doesn't impact you, and doesn't transform your heart, you miss out on rejoicing. Here's the deal. I know that my wife, Angie, loves me. I know that she loves me. I enter each day knowing that, and I can go about my day with that knowledge. I'm secure in that. I know that that's there. The problem is that if I go about my day and that knowledge doesn't impact my heart, I'm going to have a joyless marriage. It's just knowledge. And so whenever I look at this and I understand it to the full extent that Angie loves me even though I am totally sarcastic and she hates sarcasm. <laughs> that she loves me even though I have to admit to all of you that I snore. Or that she loves me through the times that I have my little quirks and, and she, she deals with them. Or whenever I have my anger issues and those rise up and she loves me. She loves me through each of those things and whenever I see that and I have the knowledge that she loves me through that. It should transform my heart so that I enter into that marriage with great joy and great desire for the years ahead. That knowledge transforms my heart. And so for so many of you, you have gone through this season and you have actually looked at the text and you've, you've basically said, I know it. Because you've read that text over and over again for so many years in the Christmas message of Jesus coming for not just Israel, for all of humanity has become dull to you. Because you have the knowledge 
You have the knowledge of it. For some of you, you have done every Bible study under the sun. Or you've read this text and you know every fact about it, even more facts than me, and you could be up here telling us all about it. But it has never transformed your heart. So you miss the opportunity that the birth of Jesus not only impacts you, but it impacts your neighbor, your coworker, your family member. But you have the knowledge. See, Jesus didn't come for those to have knowledge. He came so that you would have new life and that knowledge would transform you so that you would make an impact for the kingdom of God that is going to reign for all eternity. And so whenever we see what's happening with the religious leaders, I want to encourage you to dive into this book in 2018. I want you to soak it in, but I want you to allow that knowledge to transform your heart so that you end up becoming a person that understands that a life of rejoicing comes to those who get worship right. It will change who and what you worship. So, we've answered the first two questions, but we come to the third. How do we get worship right? And how do we get to this place where we can, we can rejoice? What needs to take place? Well, whenever we look at this, the, the magi are the ones that show us this. And starting in verse 9 through the rest of the text, we see that they leave Herod and they end up going outside. The star has come back and the star is moving to guide them. If you were to go back to the Old Testament into Exodus 13, you would end up seeing that the Israelites have been freed from their slavery in Egypt. And they are wandering the desert, but they're not wandering because they have a guide. Because God has set up a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide them as they go through the wilderness. In that text, what we have to understand is that God has control over all creation and he will use that to communicate to his people. Now we get to Matthew 2 and we see the God that freed Israel is now going to use creation again and he uses a star and instead of responding to the Israelites, he sends it to Gentile magi. And so God has this, this incredible control over this. And what we find then is what happens in verse 10. Do you see what, what happens? When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. That's a key word here. And Matthew's using the word overjoyed because he doesn't want to just use the word happy. Because overjoyed is a party word. It's actually a word that expresses so many different exciting emotions that Matthew puts this in because it's not that the Magi were happy. Oh, good, there's the star again. Oh, they were overjoyed. They were pumped. They were so excited that they saw the star that brought them to Jerusalem is now going to lead them to Bethlehem. And so the star comes. I have this picture from a couple years ago of, of my daughter opening a simple gift on Christmas. 
But I got it at just the right time because it has her in midair. She's jumping up and down, the ponytail's up in the air, big smile on her face. She's overjoyed. That's what the Magi are. It's like a party. The star has come back. They are overjoyed with this because they're looking for the one and only. And so this is how we see. What do they do to get worship right? Well, it's done in three ways. The first is that they approach and they bow to Jesus. They approach him and they bow. Now think about this. Jesus is an infant toddler. These are highly educated, wealthy men who have a status, and they approach this caravan. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph? It doesn't say that they were at the manger. They're now, at the beginning of the text, or in this text, they end up saying in verse 11, I'm coming to the house. So they're now in a house, and this caravan that caused this great disturbance in Jerusalem is now outside the house, and they enter, and what do they do? They approach and they bow. People from incredible status level go to the simple, and they bow in front of Jesus. Matthew is clear to point this out because this is, this is Gentiles coming to the Messiah and bowing down. See, we can get this right, and right worship takes place when we can strip ourselves of all the false images of our own greatness, of our own status, and that we can recognize the presence of the one who changed all eternity. I mean, when we look at this, then you need to ask yourself, are you able to do this? I mean, are you able to strip yourself from your status, from your desires, from everything in you and just approach him and bow? Because here's the deal. He is present here now. See, when you worship, he's present with you here, but your voice, your mind as you read his word, you are entering the throne room and you have the opportunity to approach Jesus and bow. That's how you get worship right. So we see that the Magi do this. The Magi teach us a second thing, and they teach us that in order to get worship right, we need to surrender our treasure and our identities to him our treasure and our identities. See, this is an action of giving up, giving up our resources to King Jesus. They recognize that what they have, they need to give to him. And so they come in, and they don't offer minimal gifts. They don't, it's not like they went out on Christmas Eve to get that present for their special king, the way that many of you men did this past season. No, they, they brought their gifts, and they're not simple, they're extravagant. I mean, they are extravagant. They're bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is for the royal, and so they present this royal uh, gift. These, these spices were for the elite. In fact, what this points out is not only is Jesus king by the, the gift of gold, these spices also then point out to something that's going to happen in the future. Because those are the spices that are used for burial. 
that Jesus came with a purpose. He came as the gospel message to redeem you. And so they bring these gifts, and these are costly, and they're extravagant. We don't know if the Magi really understood everything, but the deal is, is we don't really understand everything either. See, in a journey with Jesus, you're going to learn as Jesus continues to expand who he is to you. Just like the Magi came, what they did is they obeyed. They came and they brought the gifts. And so for you, as you enter 2018, the question is, is are you going to be extravagant in your gifts? For some of you in this room, you have been given gifts by Jesus Christ to be used for his kingdom expansion, and you've never done it. You've never offered what he's poured into you for his glory. And so you have to take a step and start serving in some way. To jumping in, you have to look at this and say, how can I give that? For some of you, you came into this place today and you're going, I, you know, I'm holding on to my checking account. I mean, this world is uncertain. And for, for some of you, because you've never given, it's time for you to say, I'm going to do what the Magi did and I'm going to surrender and I'm going to give my first gift to Christ today so that his kingdom expands and so that he is glorified. See, what these Magi do is they surrender who they are and their gifts to King Jesus. And the question is, are you going to do that as well? And then lastly, they teach us this, that they get worship right as they surrender to his authority no matter what. No matter what. See, the Magi had authority, but whenever they entered, they realized that they were in the presence of heavenly authority. I mean, who has the authority to move a star? And do you realize that star, when they came out, was moving from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, to the exact place? Stars don't do that. Unless they're moved by the Creator. And so they see this authority and they say, okay, this authority is here, so we come and we worship. We don't want human authority. We want something different. And so they worship through action and through their words. And so they surrendered. See, for some of us in this room, we are holding on to the little authority we have. And we're trying to grab hold of it And what Matthew 2 is telling us is that we have to release it. That if we're going to be worshipers of the king who came, then we have to surrender all authority. Your circumstances do not have authority over you. And I know for some of you, it's really bad right now. But they don't have authority over you. The Savior has authority over all things. So will you surrender? Will you surrender in that way? See, all of these things that the the Magi teach us are a posture. And so what is the posture of your life right now? The ball is about to drop on this year 
And whatever your posture has been this year, Jesus is saying, I have come to change that. And so what is your posture going to be? Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to bow? So that you can be that person that, that is full of rejoicing, knowing that you get it right when you worship King Jesus. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Well, my prayer is, is that the words of Psalm 100 would be true of all of us. That we would be disciples that would be able to, to say, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. May those be our words as we enter this new year. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I ask that even in this moment right now, there are people in this room that are, are needing to surrender so many different things to you. And I pray that you and your spirit would go before us and that you would do your mighty work. May we be a kingdom people that are surrendering everything to you. May we worship you right. Each and every moment of our life, I pray that you would transform us. And Jesus, if there are people here that have been struggling with some of these things in their life and they've never given their life over to you, I ask that you would move. That they would surrender their life completely to you today. You are the gospel. And you have come for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would have a smile on your face as we worship you through Psalm Now. That's in your name I pray. Amen.